based in America, the U.S., in uh, the Baltimore slash Washington, D.C. region slash Virginia. They're all sort of connected uh, very close together <laughs> where I'm at. And uh, yeah, that's me. Ah, well, I've got a feeling people might know who you are. <laughs> maybe. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so yes, and I do feel particularly pressured as obviously you're a professional podcaster yourself. <laughs> well, yeah, Nathan and I, I can't believe, I was just looking back at uh, the like archive of our older episodes. I can't believe we started it like four years ago or something like that, our, our own podcast. I think we're, we suffer from, I think, the same illness that many podcasts do and that we're very sporadic and when how often we don't have a good schedule for our releases so we are up to i think 70 or so episodes wow. in the past four years so that's an average of like you know one-ish a month oh okay well i years. i do six a year <laughs> yeah okay cool so we're ahead of your curve <laughs> exactly but i mean my idea for doing these was that people would get to know my speakers and we would save time at the event mm -hmm. and there's not that having to kind of explain who you are and talk about your journey into photography because our attendees would already have listened to these podcasts. That's yeah it's great you're being proactive about that because I've done some conferences where I arrive and I just jump right in assuming people are already familiar with at least who I am and all that and that's not always not that's far from the case so it's good that like now you are being proactive in a way that if they don't have that history uh it's their fault <laughs> not mine yeah, <laughs> because you've exactly. done the work of like trying to set them up enforcing at least those attendees to listen to my podcast <laughs> yeah that's great but i always think every time i finish a series of these i always think oh i actually really enjoy doing them i would quite like to make it a thing and to do a more regular show um so you never know. It's super fun. It's like it's once you're in it and talking and the conversation is flowing, mics are live, recording is going. It's great. But it's the it's sort of the scheduling of it and then having to stick to that as a self-employed person. For me, at least, and Nathan and I, that's the big problem is that we're like, yeah, you want a podcast tomorrow morning? Sure. And then tomorrow morning comes around and we're like, I kind of have some other stuff to do. Like we can podcast another time and it gets pushed back. And, yeah. But once you're in it, it's so, uh, the conversation is so rich, uh, enriching, I would say, and great, especially if you're self-employed, which many photographers are. It's so great to have that interaction with another human. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's sort of, yeah, everything leading up to it, it's a little tricky. You must have to like trick yourself into doing it. I don't know, like make a promise to your audience, like this is going to be released at this date and, you know, have some, some way to have people hold you accountable. Well, I think that's how most people do it. We're obviously a little bit more ad hoc. <laughs> I think <laughs> yes. most people have a plan. Um, and yeah, yeah I, wish, I wish I was those people and I'm not, sadly. But yes, I do enjoy it and I often think, oh, it'd be, it's the technical side though, the technical side of getting them online. I have no idea how to do that. So uh, that's... Yeah, that's, there's a lot of legwork up front. Uh, but like with anything, once you kind of put in the time to learn it and know what your workflow looks like and everything, 
it gets exponentially faster from there. You can, unless you're troubleshooting something, which is often the case with uh, Zoom and Skype and all these, you know, connection. Uh, but aside from something just configured weirdly, uh, yeah, everything just kind of flows. Uh, but it just it's so much trial and error and just practicing and getting getting it uh, your workflow defined. Yeah. So how come you and Nathan decided to do one in the first place? I started listening, most of the podcasts I listen to, um, you know, personally have nothing to do with photography. I'm really passionate about technology. I was a computer science major in college and have always loved reading kind of tech journalism. And that eventually just sort of, somehow I started listening to recommended podcasts in that space and just realized like, some of my favorite podcasts are just two people talking. They're not interviewing anybody else. They're the same two people every every episode, and they just sit down and have conversations. And Nathan and I uh, shot together so often over the years, uh, you know, where he would be second shooting for me or me second shooting for him. We would have basically podcast conversations mm-hmm. on the drive to the wedding or on the drive after the wedding, kind of deconstructing the day or talking about, you know, whatever. And I was like, we just need to formalize this a bit. Yeah hit record, uh, put some higher quality mics in front of us, and, and we've got a podcast. So that's really why we started it. I, I was motivated and inspired by the format of the tech podcast I was listening to and then the content of what Nathan and I were already doing. <laughs> so that was it. Gosh, that would be an interesting podcast if you actually recorded you and your second shooter going to a wedding and then you and your second shooter leaving a wedding. Sure. Well, we actually had one episode of us during a wedding. We had a portable mic, and whenever we had little breaks, little windows of downtime, uh, if I was like looking at a location to assess the lighting and get a portrait idea, Nathan would come with me and we'd like talk it out. Like that was a really great episode. I think we had about an hour of just random moments throughout the wedding when we had our vendor meal, uh, all sorts of stuff. And then, yeah, the drive. Uh, home. But tell me, did you get a good dinner? <laughs> that was a good one. It was. Yeah, we ate with the guests we were eating. And generally, I, you know, that's the way it is now. I think, I, I don't know if there's been enough social media backlash whenever photographers aren't well fed or, or what, but most vendors seem to be really great about food these days. And I assure you it's not because of that. It has nothing to do. I shoot the exact same budget and style of weddings that I've always shot. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's still a mixed bag. I feel you just don't know. I kind of like that though. It's like, um, you know, wedding dinner roulette. You never know. <laughs> it's true. I always bring my go-to snacks or, uh, two bottles of water and then a bag of teriyaki beef jerky. So I've got my jerky. If I need that to carry me through, wow. it's not ideal, but you know, I also, as much as I love, like just sitting down and eating a, a big meal in the middle of a wedding, I, I do feel a little bit better shooting physically when I don't have a full stomach. Mm. I feel a little more focused. And for, you know, about a year now I've been doing, um, fasting, uh, with no like weight loss goals, mostly maintaining weight, but as I've tried various different fasts, one that I really like, it's called the OMAD, one meal a day. Uh, I find that when I shoot after fasting, uh, not having eaten anything until dinner, basically, uh, the results are different. I, I don't know what it is. And I don't know if I can, if it's placebo, if I can directly attribute it to me fasting and my body just being in a different sort of uh, state than it otherwise would be if I had a full stomach or, or what. But I'm trying to, 
pay more attention to that uh, this year mm. in particular, uh, because essentially up until um, this, this recent sort of paying attention to what I'm eating, uh, my go-to approach on a wedding day would be wake up, maybe go for a walk or a light jog, nothing too strenuous, just to get the, the blood moving and then eat a big giant lunch because I wouldn't know how big my dinner would be. And I'm realizing like, you know, I don't want to get lightheaded or faint, of course, while I'm working, but maybe I should eat a really light lunch or nothing at all. Yeah. Uh, and then bring something heavier for dinner. So I, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to see the effects of your diet and your creative output. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing the Sam Heard uh, more creative wedding photographer diet book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> diet your way to creativity. I knew you was that simple. Yeah, um, that's all it takes. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, you've got me fascinated now. So with your fasting, is this espresso, this multiple espressos, does that happen on a fast day as well? Yes, I, I drink a ton of coffee. Uh, I'm not, I'm not totally strict about it. I, I, if I am fasting until dinner, now I'm not like eating fewer calories. My dinner will be basically 2,000 calories. Oh, wow. So dinner is always like something to look forward to. Yeah, it's like awesome. <laughs> but, um, which is why, you know, I'm not really gaining or losing weight. It's not about that. It's about uh, kind of the discipline and mindset of doing you have to kind of stay focused and it just sharpens me a bit. I find when I'm just a little bit hungry um, now, it, but again, I'm not religious. If I, if I do want a snack, I'll, I'll make a, a coffee an espresso and I'll, I generally will have pickles. Oh, I love pickles. Not the dog. Not the dog. No, 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 the cat. Uh, my cat's name is pickles. Yes. My dog's name is popcorn, oh, yeah. but no, I'll, I'll eat. Uh, I have a huge collection of pickles at any time. Cause I just, I love dill pickles or spicy pickles. I always have, uh, but those are basically zero calories and I, and I don't. Uh, yeah. I'm a big pickle fan. I love pickles yeah. as well. And when I was pregnant, honestly, I could have just mainlined those things. And yep. so we have, we have something here. I don't know if you have it called Piccalilli. No, I don't know what that is. Oh, is that like yeah. a festival? Yeah, <laughs> a week of pickles. Okay, you're going to have to try that. When you come back to the UK, we will especially get you a jar. So it's um like bright, bright okay. yellow. Um, mm. So I think they, they take like onions and cauliflower and dills and they pickle them and they must put mustard in there and mustard seeds and that must be what makes it bright, bright yellow. But it's oh, okay. so good with cheese or ham. Um, it's like mm. crack oh is this we're just gonna start getting hungry now all this yeah this is, i have not eaten today so yeah, this is not that coffee <laughs> um but yeah i know it's an amazing thing so we'll get you to try that when you come over to the uk um, lovely but yeah no, it's interesting you say that because i now don't feel so bad because when you were with us in october in brighton you were really busy doing your um different classes with us at farmer's market and then i heard afterwards that all you'd had to eat all day with one donut <laughs> yes yeah yeah no but that that's the thing i mean and the the work that i did in those two sessions i was so happy with and uh you know it wasn't i mean it was a really cool location there's a lot of cool interesting things to be inspired by along the pier there in brighton but um that that was a time I was being particularly sensitive to what I was eating and when. And, uh, and I don't know if it was a jet lag on top of that or, or what, but I was just right in the zone perfectly. Uh, yeah. So I, hopefully we can repeat that. Okay, so <laughs> uh, you and hit the jet lag and you will look forward to seeing what we're getting this time. 
Yeah, yeah. With Thrive. So um, is it, it is distinctly, is Thrive a, a new name and brand for the, the overall concept or is there any uh, particularly new format? Yeah, that, um, so Thrive is my new version of what we called Farm Shop before. And just with Farm Shop and with Farmers Market, there are two big events yeah. over the year. And Farm Shop is something that we've done a few years in a row. So we've had people like Gabe McClintock, uh, Jennifer Mower's done it, um, Bill and Sarah did it. And it's just, yeah, over the last few years. But Ryan Muirhead. Was, Ryan did something different with us. That's what we were yeah. doing Farm Week back in um, at the actual farm, which you've been to. So that was our five mm -hmm. days of workshops that Ryan's done. So yeah, so farm shop, they're all, it's difficult. This, this is why I changed it to Thrive because it's something <laughs> yeah. even for me to remember. Um, but yeah, so farm shop, we just kind of evolved it very slightly. So it's um, six main speakers. Focus, it's very deeply educational. And then we've got a little bit of trade on the side of brands coming along because they, they seem to like hanging out with all you guys. Okay. <laughs> farmer's market which you did with us in october the focus is more on the trade it's meant to be a trade show and then we have education on the side you wouldn't have seen too much of the trade show because you were so busy doing your classes but yeah so trying to connect the sort of photographers that come to photography farm with brands because they probably are not too keen on going to what a uk trade show is you know yeah still a little bit old-fashioned sometimes um, so there are two bigger events so just one focuses on the education with the trade on the side and the other focuses on the trade with the education on the side cool um I, in my head i know exactly what the difference is but i think they do all blur a little messaging is tough it's it's so crazy and like i've been pedal to the metal with uh, more of my online creative or online like educational output and i'm just finding it's it's constant constant task to get the messaging right and like what okay so i have this post this is a great article or tutorial or walk you know walk through or whatever how do i you know concisely easily clearly say in a photo or in you know a couple of words for instagram story ex exactly what this post is to get people to understand like the value yeah. so that it's not clickbaity yeah. that there, there is something meaningful here please check it out yeah. because i guarantee some people are seeing this that need to know this information yeah. that yeah. that don't even know that they need to know it like, I know. check it out how do you get that messaging done clearly you know it's it's almost like a full-time job thinking about this stuff it's it's, I think it's it annoying is. i think it is and i think that we're going i mean i suffer from exactly the same thing you know um i really do and I, i'm in such a quandary about so many things and I, I think going forward, we're going to see more peripheral industries of people who help you with content and help you. So not just, you know, we've seen copywriters and content creators and people who will do social media for you. But I think you're yeah. going to see like a lot more of so someone who will just come in and exactly that will, you know, pull out your message and make that really, yeah. really clear. Because I follow so many people online where they do do that really, really well. And they maybe possibly only sell one thing and they just sell that one thing incredibly well. Whereas right. you and I have podcasts, we have online training, we have workshops, we actually still are wedding photographers. Yeah. <laughs> <You that's, know? laughs> well, that's the thing too, is like one of the things, like, so I'm thinking about redoing my website and branding and using the same guy that did my website, like, five years ago now, because he did a great job. But uh, I really want to find a way to make it very clear that like, yes, I have all this educational stuff, but it 
only exists, it, it is only made possible by the fact that I'm still an active working wedding photographer shooting as many weddings as I, as I have time for, 30, 40 weddings a year. Um, and, and that, you know, I just see this trend, a lot of photographers that, that teach, and it's fine to do this, but they, they aren't necessarily, um, they don't surface to the top. They're like, yeah, I, I don't really shoot anymore. I, I just teach. Yeah. And that's fine. But like, they, they don't really let you know <laughs> as a student or, you know, somebody purchasing their, their content. They're like, but I make most of my money from teaching other people how to do this stuff, not from working with clients. And there's a different layer of accountability there. Like yeah. At the end, end of the day, no matter what I do, I am still solely accountable by the clients that hire me to shoot their wedding, mm. not uh, necessarily anything else. Yeah. <laughs> it's all as a result of that accountability, which is a completely different shift from somebody that segues out of shooting weddings into something else. Uh, again, you can be really great at teaching how, how to light or how to deal with customer service and all these other things, but you have to be, I think, very transparent about, but I'm actually only accountable to my students now, <laughs> not the clients that hire me because I, I don't have clients anymore. Yeah. And it's like, that might be a good thing to know. That's going to inform your decision as a student about some of the device or at least the optics of, uh, you know, how this photographer's opinions might shape your own. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I hope that makes some yeah. sense, but I it's a trick. I, I, yeah. I get asked like a lot, like, Oh, do you still shoot? And it's like, yeah. Like I think the two things feed into each other so well. And that if I didn't keep having a wedding photography business, um, it would change the dynamic. I still love it. I still really enjoy it. I'm still out there hustling to get bookings. And I, you know, I know what that feels like. And I know what it feels like to be surviving in this market. And I think that's, that's the key. You tapped, tapped into it right there. Like you, you need to have that feeling that other people are. If you're just sitting at the top, you know, raking it in with selling presets or, you know, whatever, organizing conferences. Yeah that's fine but you there's a disconnect then yeah. between yeah. uh the real reality of being a wedding photographer yeah hustling and, and making by and uh you know yeah something else but i will say just not to go on a complete tangent but i have recently found uh an incredibly useful resource that uh you know relates to advertising uh, so a lot of people have asked me to make a tutorial about my approach to like Facebook ads or Instagram ads and, and all of that stuff. Uh, and I've spent tens of thousands of dollars uh, in my career on ads, but it's mostly just been trial and error, mm -hmm. just randomly mm -hmm. trying stuff. <laughs> uh, no real strategy in place. Uh, and one of the tools I came across recently is called Ad Espresso. Hi. And it's, it's owned and I think was acquired by Hootsuite. Uh, but they have this service. So you can set up a campaign uh, like you maybe normally would or, try your best if it's your very first time. You set up a, an ad, uh, a whole campaign, just one ad, whatever you want. And then for 27 bucks, you, you pay them and they'll make a 10, 15 minute video analyzing everything about your setup and giving you incredibly valuable insights of like the subtle, simple things and the things of more comp complexity and depth. Um, I got so much out of uh, one video that I spent 27 bucks for them to- wow, Give me analysis on and 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 it's all done through ad espresso ad espresso so uh, try that like if, if nothing else if you're really struggling with ads uh you know so many photographers sell they're like here's my strategy here's my tutorial like mm. retargeting and blah 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 like 
I'm telling you, Ad Espresso was a great use of $27. I learned so much in that 10 minute thing. Um, I shall be jumping right on that. Um, because mm. you just, it's so much like, even when you think you've nailed these things, then they change. And Exactly. And nobody has time to keep up with those changes. It is a full-time, I mean, this is why uh, companies, you know, proper businesses, hire advertising agencies or marketing agencies or they bring them in-house and have full-time people working on marketing and and all those things like this is a full-time job and, it, and a lot of people aren't passionate about it but it's necessary like the reality is past a certain point of uh building an audience no matter how much you do organically if you start to monetize on your audience you're going to have to pay for ads <laughs> to, to some degree or, or invest in some kind of social media strategy uh, mm -hmm. yeah it's just the reality i don't see anybody making money that's not also investing money into well their, yeah this is it. The, the old adage is you know it pays to advertise i say this all the time yeah. and to wedding photographers because i think that's so i've just written an article for the column that i write for the magazine um, uh -huh. and it was, you know, examining what, you know, having been a wedding photographer now, this is my 20th year. I know, so fresh faced. And, um, <laughs> but the big difference is, and, the, the, you know, I, I think that marketing, you know, forget digital cameras and forget like everything else, social media. I think the biggest change is how you have to market yourself. And um, I don't know what it's like where you are or what you consider your market to be, but my market would be the whole of the UK. And sure. when I started, it was a seller's market. I had something that I uh, was in a very privileged position that people really wanted and they couldn't get readily accessible. And I would say that it was a seller's market up until the last maybe five years started to feel the shift to becoming a buyer's market where there was just way, way, way more really good wedding photographers out there. Um, that the buyer has so much more choice than they ever did and what you were doing before is no way near enough and in 2020 you have to advertise I think as a wedding photographer there's very few that don't actively pay to advertise in some way um, and consistently have a campaign going mm -hmm. yeah I completely agree with that it's yeah you could <sighs> Depending on your style, style and target uh, demographic and all that, there there's so many ways that you can compete on price. And you know, when you're in like the beginning stages of a professional and you're uh, charging less because you don't have the experience of somebody who's been shooting 20 years or whatever, you can I think make a huge amount of progress. In fact, maybe even shoot full time for a couple years, uh, undercutting on price and you know word of mouth spreading because of that. But as soon as the reality of life starts to hit and you can't shoot 40 weddings a year and you have to start charging more or you have kids and your expenses go up in everyday life. Like you have to start charging more and, and no longer is price going to be the reason that people refer your friends. And yeah, it's, it's such an interesting, uh, <laughs> market for sure. It's fascinating to me. And, and this, again, everything I say right now, remember I have zero, um, experience in like business school or proper business, uh, analysis <laughs> this is all yeah. just anecdotal to my experience in, in the industry but none of us do and i feel like that honestly if you had to replace yourself within your own business how many people would you have to replace yourself with 
Yeah, at least three. <laughs> at least yeah, probably four. Yeah. Possibly think, six, you know, you look at it like yeah, an accountant. Yeah. Um, so a marketing, a PR person, um, an editor. Uh, photo editor, <laughs> yeah. Somebody to actually show up and do the, yep. the work on the day. Yeah, uh, yeah it's... <laughs> Many hats. Somebody, a friend of mine, uh, was interviewing for a salary job at a you know a regular office. He's like so nervous about this interview, and I was like, man, I go on. I've had like a thousand interviews. Yeah. Like I've shot four hundred weddings. That means I must have had at least eight hundred to a thousand phone interviews. You know, hour long interviews with clients. Yeah. <laughs> These are interviews. Yes, they're they're meetings to get to know people, but they're interviewing you just as much as you're you know, sort of interviewing them. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny to me. I was like, man, I don't think I would love to just start applying to random jobs that I don't care at all about just to walk in and see how I handle the interview. <laughs> uh, I feel like it would be from a place of strange confidence or something. Like <laughs> sitting down next to somebody or in front of somebody who you know as a photographer, you've had more interviews than they have because yeah. they've just worked in like a corporate structure. How many people could they have possibly interviewed throughout their career? Yeah. Not a thousand, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee. Yeah, so you think we'd really be nailing it every time now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like you said, uh, the the options are so vast and varied that it's it feels like a buyer's market. Although I will say, so, um, you know, again, this is anecdotal for me, but it did seem like around maybe end of 2017 into end of 2018 was a real sort of low point in the market, at least where I'm at again. Uh, my bookings, I, I think I ended the full year shooting about 30, whereas historically I would shoot closer to 50 and, and not, you know, and have a huge surplus of inquiries that I have to send other places. That didn't happen in those two years-ish. But now I'm way ahead of the curve again. I feel like it's things are kind of cycling back up in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the reason is for that. Um, you maybe think it's when you have a lot of inquiries and your diary is full booking that you simply don't have more like that time to market and because weddings are booked so far out uh, the knock-on effect is you don't really feel the effect until the year after um, I think I've fallen foul of that more than absolutely I don't know if that's as much with me because I still got lazy about blogging I was really good about social media and I, and I, I was late to Instagram I didn't really push it as a primary outlet uh, for me, uh, Instagram until 2015 or something like that. Cause I just, I had done so well on my Facebook page. I was like, no, I, I've done all this work. I have this huge audience on Facebook, screw Instagram. Mm -hmm. And that turned out to be a horrible mistake <laughs> on my part. Uh, my Facebook page is, you know, like everybody's it's kind of kind of a ghost town all that work for nothing which again kind of pisses me off like if that happens i could see it happening again in the instagram world yeah but uh yeah i think some of those efforts are, are paying off and and yeah at the end of the day a photographer that is, is struggling with bookings i always look back to their blog mm -hmm. i mean there was a time you know back in when i got started 2010 and 11 people were blogging every single day they were blogging as often as they're posting a single photo on social media now, yeah. like entire blog posts, yeah. like that's how it was. Yeah. That's what you had to do to get in the yeah. in the mix of what clients were stumbling across, you know, serendipitously in their search and like all the stuff. Like your blog is is like I think continues to be sort of the lifeblood, but you don't see the effects of it until a year later. Yeah. That's why it's sort of tricky. <laughs> you yeah, have to remind yourself of I that. I remember people it's used easy to, do, to like, get lazy. They used to do like a preview of what was coming on the blog. They do a preview yes. post. Like, you know, <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Um, um, but so funny. Yeah, it, 
everything does go around and come around and you know just never put all your marketing eggs in one basket i think absolutely um, yep agreed whatever you do like people there's a sudden buzz around linkedin interesting i haven't heard this oh, okay it's coming your way it's a big tsunami of linkedin so uh, all of a sudden to find wedding clients I don't know. I haven't got my head around quite how um, this is going to be valuable to us. But I did go into my LinkedIn profile for the first time in at least 10 years, I would say. Yeah, I, I don't even know. Branding in there was like, I didn't even remember it. Um, I'm going to sign in on live right here on air. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my password is not correct. No, so I had I to reset my password. God knows what yeah. it was meant to be. And I found all these messages in there from people. <laughs> people trying to contact me in 2012. It's like, oh, that's okay. funny. But um, yeah, I, I'm hearing suddenly about LinkedIn. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. So yeah, forget Instagram. Let's all jump over to LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, TikTok or something. That seems to also be sort of, uh, TikTok is an interesting place. But um, yeah. I've actually, I sat down and finally kind of put, put some legwork into Pinterest. Mm -hmm. uh, it was another thing I never used myself, so I never really mm -hmm. cared to learn it. Uh, but I did kind of structure everything more appropriately, so it at least makes sense now. Yeah. And uh, pinning stuff regularly seems to work, and it does seem to be an ongoing valuable resource for okay. wedding-related wedding stuff specifically, and like home improvement. Yeah. Uh, I think for, for the wedding market, Maybe more so than LinkedIn. I think Pinterest can go a long way for people, but well, I can't point yeah. to like a huge spike in inquiries because of this yet. I've literally only started putting a good effort in the last couple months. But well, I think if, if couples are using it, that you know you need to pay attention. You need to have a presence yeah. on there. But again, it's time, isn't it? It's all time consuming, and I feel it'll be interesting to see what TikTok does because that's like the really buzzy one, but. Me personally, yeah. I feel at the minute, I feel I need one social media that my kids have that I'm not on, that they're never going to come across me on. Like my kids would literally divorce me if they saw me singing along to Ariana Grande on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <In the end. laughs> uh, fascinating. I know, but they love but it. The, but the, the funny thing is too, is like, okay, something like that where the age group, it's booming for like middle school, high school mm -hmm college-ish kids uh like they that just doesn't matter that does not consider those aren't people getting married yeah. i want to know yeah if so if tiktok turns into something that you know does trickle up to the older crowds that are getting married and all that i'll, I'll pay more attention to it i guess but well yeah, yeah obviously you're not one to rush to a social media uh, too quickly <laughs> you like to take yeah. your time come into instagram late but you remember instagram when it started though sam it was all your lunch and your cat yeah and phone pictures yeah. it was such a different beast to what it is now and it's so commercialized and such a competitive place to be i think people would be sort of criticized if they posted a photo not from an iphone like if it was obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. a professional photo people would be like oh you suck like yeah. get off of instagram <laughs> i totally remember that and it was like so controversial um and like it was actually quite difficult to upload a dslr picture to. right yeah it's yeah. still not that easy and um, <laughs> yeah now of course it is a seat but what one thing that i do find interesting if i'm ever at a wedding and i've been 
put, you know, seated on a random table with like their friends or something. Um, obviously in this day and age, people get their phones out and they start looking through, but I always ask if I can see their Instagram feed because oh. we're very geared towards professional photography um, in what we're seeing. But if you're not in a creative industry, um, like it's very interesting to see their feeds because they're still mostly iPhone photos. Uh, huh, that's fascinating. Yeah, and then they're following some celebrity accounts and some like, you know, pro whatever it is that they're interested in. But there's still a lot, it's very different from when you would look at like you or I's phone or anybody who would come to a wedding photographer's conference, you know, their, their phones are very of a certain type, the images that would, you know, come up on their Instagrams. Right. How you, how's your LinkedIn looking? Are you changing? I was just about to say, I am now uh, two security codes, two email addresses <laughs> later, still not quite there. LinkedIn doesn't want you, Sam. Uh, I'm like, all right, let's see. <laughs> now I'm, it's asking for my contacts to connect me. Just let me into my profile, please. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so, found some people, LinkedIn found some people that I know. That's great. I guess I'll add a couple of friends. Everyone's going to be like, oh, Sam Hurd's using LinkedIn. We need to get on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just bring me to my, oh, my gosh. This is painful. Connecting, connecting, skip, skip all, please. I don't want to, I don't even have a photo added. That's hilarious. Yeah. I don't want the LinkedIn app. No, thank you. Oh, yeah. I, d I don't care about hashtags. Here we go. All right. I have seven people in my network. No messages. Oh, what? I had so many messages. Like nothing beyond 2016, but uh, yeah. It's also possible that I have uh, multiple LinkedIn accounts <laughs> to see if, if my name is also linked to something else. See if you're Same yourself email. on there. Yeah, no, this looks like it's it. Profile strength, I'm a beginner, so ouch. Oh. You know, it's funny though, LinkedIn looks like Facebook mm. 10 years ago. Yeah, it does. Like the structure and graphic design of everything. Yeah, well, That's do so you funny. remember Friends Reunited? No, what is this? What is oh, this? So this was like the precursor. Before we had Facebook, we had Friends Reunited. And I guess it was around about the same time as MySpace. Maybe even was before huh. MySpace. But so basically it was just a kind of network to reconnect with people that you went to school with, I believe. Okay. Um, and then it was like a social forum. Um, but yeah, I wonder what happened to that. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And now everybody's, you know, the thing, everybody's so fixated on like, okay, how do I get famous and monetize on that fame? for every new up and coming social network, there's like too much of that uh, to the point where I think it kills the network. What was the one uh, a year ago? It starts with a V. Like every photographer started to jump on it for like a month yes. and then it died. Yes, there's been a few Just of those. There has been a yeah. few and they've come and gone. And it's like, if somebody well-known joins up to it and drops a link, it's like, oh, I need to get on this. But things yeah. like, do you remember when Pinterest first started and you had to get an invite? Yes. Yeah, but that's that's part of the, the trick, right? Is I think that's why Facebook caught on is because entire schools, universities, you know, would be blocked out. And then when they would be added, it was like a big deal. Like everybody would jump in all at once to see what they'd been missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like yeah. That's, that's the thing. It creates that buzz. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, isn't it? But while yeah. we're on the subject of Facebook, can we discuss um, what happened a couple of months ago 
quite controversial in our wedding photographers global. <laughs> yes. I've actually been on like two podcasts about it already. Oh, uh, you're talking about my... specifically devoted just to the Sam <laughs> talking about awards. Yes, my opinion awards. on them. Um, yeah. So. Uh, I know you and I've know, followed you for a while and I've met you a few times and uh, I know you very well and I know you are absolutely 100% yeah. utterly adorable. You're one of the nicest speakers <laughs> that I've ever dealt with. You're just, you, you do exactly what you say you're going to do. I don't have to hassle you all the time. You turn up, you even jet lagged and even on one donut for an entire day. You are a real grafter, you work and you're very focused on the education. You give your attendees an incredible experience and it's very, very inspiring to attend one of your classes. Um, so I know um, that every year, a certain time of year, you are going to do a post saying awards are crap. Um, because we've done it for the last few years and it's yes. always controversial. And for this year, it seemed to create an absolute storm of controversy so i you know anyone who doesn't know i think it was prelude, um, the prelude this time was um the very another really great person that we've had it from gabe mcclintock uh, hmm. did a post uh, i was absolutely delighted to be tagged in um i can't hmm. tell you how honored i was and it it came on a day, you know, sometimes you just have a little bit of hard luck and things don't go your way and it seems to become a bit of a slide that you slip down. And I'd had uh -huh. a sort of couple of bad weeks and then randomly saw that I'd been tagged by Gabe McClintock and he did this really nice post around the time of the Rising Star Awards just to say, it's great to see the winners and the always really inspired by the work. But isn't it a shame there isn't anything around that um, is geared towards people who've been in the industry with longevity? And he tagged me and a few other photographers and said really nice things about us. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. Like, I feel so honoured. I was so honoured to be in the list. I was so honoured to be a female on the list. I felt really like, oh, you know, the hard work is worth it. Blah, blah, blah. And for about two hours, <laughs> I was really happy. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and then it, they, yeah, the pylon started. Yeah, and then it all went wrong. And I mean, okay, so everyone's going to have their own opinion on it and, and take it a different way. But I, I know Gabe, and I know that he had really good intentions. And I spoke to him around the time quite a bit because I was like, oh my God, what's gone wrong with this? It was a lovely post, and it was just meant to be like, hey, that's one thing, and that's great, and congratulations, and I love to see it. But it would also be nice to see. It wasn't like, let's replace that, or. Yeah, you know. No, it, it, he just fell. It, it fell victim to uh, you know the internet doing what it does best, like turning something uh, positive with a hint of pushback okay. into "you suck." Uh, why are you stealing this moment from me? It's like anything that has a hint of pushback. So yeah, I was uh, partially motivated by his post, mm -hmm. uh, partially. You're right. I, I said the exact same thing every year, uh, and it was that time of year again for me to voice my opinion. But uh, yeah, I said it a little bit more sternly, uh, maybe in a way that sounded, you know, through people's filter of however you read something online. I probably sounded more angry than angry than than I really was. But yeah, I went pedal to the metal. Awards are fucking ridiculous. Um, you know this. 
this is the wrong thing to, to focus on if you care about what you do as a wedding photographer. And uh, yeah, so I didn't hint at any pushback. I straight up pushed back. And then, you know, that, of course, the internet rewarded me greatly for <laughs> in terms of, yeah, um, yeah I think like I still, I still have people sending me hate messages, hate messages and life-threatening notes anonymously. <laughs> Not wow. even kidding you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like, That's yeah. insane. That's so crazy. <laughs> Um, yes. I, I was very surprised at how personal it got, how quickly it, it really did um, sink into levels of personal attack and language um, yeah. that we would never well, see, that's, in the real world. Like we would never, if we all the, met up, no, we would never say those things to each other. Uh, that's what's fascinating about the internet. And for me, I always feel like it's a little unfair because as long as you know, I never stoop to that, like literal name calling or whatever, they're destroying themselves with their rude comment. Like it's crazy to see it unfold and it's sort of like fuel itself, yeah. with hate and negativity. Um, and it's, it's really hard to like stop that yeah. and circle back, uh, uh, you know, aside from deleting the post or something like that. But um, anyway, it was surprising to me the how personal people immediately took it like i wasn't calling out anybody i to be honest i literally hadn't realized that the range funder thing had just happened yeah. i thought gabe was just mentioning it as something I, I i didn't even read gabe's post in its entirety or detail and i didn't even read the controversy on his thread uh at least not that i recall not in a way that it was considered in what I posted. <laughs> ah. uh, it was just sort of like a... Oh, so it just triggered that thing in your mind? You were like, it just triggered that, that thing. Like, that time of year yeah. where I do my post about awards being crap. Ta-da! Literally. You're like yeah. the guy with Tourette who just runs into the room and just goes, <laughs> awards are fucking shit. And he just leaves. Because he didn't explain why. And you just drop it like a bomb. And then, yeah, like, right. what was it you right. said? Come and fight me or something like, fight me if you want. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, and I did say five, and then I didn't check the thread again for like a day or something. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> here's the thing. Yeah, I, I was I was being you know kind of ridiculous, but anytime you get people talking, anytime there is friction in uh, opinions, I think that's incredibly valuable, and that's something to pay attention to because it means there's there's something there. Uh, yeah, there's there is something perhaps wrong, or there's something perhaps really really right, but there is some gray area and some room to talk about it and yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Uh, Facebook common threads is not the place to do it, but if it does start the conversation, even in a photographer's own head, mm. uh, I like that kind of stuff. I like those topics, and I would drop those bombs every day if I could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I know so the magazine in question, the magazine that runs the contest. Um, so I know that they they were aware of, of what these threads were were saying and the controversy, and I have no idea what they've taken on board about it. But. Well, that's the unfortunate part. I was uh, on a podcast a couple of weeks after that, so this was a few months ago now, and uh, the editor of Rangefinder was supposed to be on that podcast with me. With It was two guys that run a podcast, I can't remember what it's called, and it was me, and it was supposed to be the editor, and she had to bail last minute, um, so it was it ended up being just me. It was, it was a good conversation, but I was actually really excited, because I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want, and I wish I could have done it anonymously, because at the end, end of the day, people only think that, like, okay, well, 
still this is like Sam's name getting out there. And it's like, I really don't care about that. Yeah. Like I, I legitimately was excited to have a conversation with like somebody at the top who runs one of yeah. these and get some pushback and like convince me otherwise. Cause I am pretty set in my <laughs> conviction and opinion on the matter. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's fine. If you believe in awards and, and want to submit and feel like they enrich and motivate you as a photographer, that's totally great. I think no less of you for it. Uh, but for me, that is not how my motivations and brain works at all. They, they are uh, the worst thing for me. Yeah. And so I have serious pushback. And if it's that way for me, it's got to be that for other people. And I want other people that have that opinion to feel like they're not alone. Well, uh, it's okay yeah. to, to do that. I know we've sat around the table at farm um, and had discussions on this. And I did find your opinion incredibly thought provoking. And, mm -hmm. you know, for you, the, what your, you know, what your main point about this is that what it does for your creativity and your mindset. Um, so I, I, won awards and been involved in awards and I've obviously put on a lot of events with photographers who've collected a fair few accolades along the way and uh, one thing I do remember is we had so we had this guy called Todd Hunter McGar um who's uh, really I love Todd yeah. yeah he's he's one of my he was one of the original like oh I want to be him <laughs> photographers for me <laughs> I still want to be still is yeah <laughs> he's so great he's such a great photographer and his talk was really interesting and he did speak about this you know what happens to you when you win so I think he won the um top 10 world's best wedding photographer. So he was on that list, like an incredibly prestigious place to be. And he spoke about that process of when you get something like that. So like oh, a lot of our career, you're kind of working on this trajectory, heading up, you're, you're trying to rise somewhere, you're, you're traveling up what you perceive to be sort of visual mountain and uh, always feel like you're working towards something. And then what happens to you when you get it, you know, when you get it, it's like the hardest thing is to stay there or to ever get beyond it and the easiest thing is to drop back down and then the psyche of what happens to you when you do start dropping back down um, and where do you go from that so it's like harder work to stay at the top than to get to the top um absolutely a hundred percent the other aspect of it for me is um you are now holding who accountable for what is good in your work versus what's bad instead of you holding yourself accountable as a photographer you are now saying okay this magazine or this place they gave me this award this is awesome they love my work i'm doing good things like i i am obsessed with kind of the fact i, I love the fact that I, I built this wedding photography business myself and i have defined for myself what i love in my work and when i feel really good about something it's sort of the same thing that social media does in some ways things are put to a vote and the really good you know stuff gets or, or what what the audience the crowd uh deems really really good or amazing gets gets all the the accolades and traction and likes and all that and it's anyway this isn't even getting into the fact that so many wedding photographer genre awards 
have a monetary connection some way where, yeah, you can enter one for free and then, hey, enter another one. It's only 10 bucks. Uh, you can enter as many as you want. You keep paying that $10. And it's like, well, that completely decimates the legitimacy of it to me. Yeah. Or uh, there, there's so many things that kind of quote, decimate the, legis- the legitimacy uh, of, of these awards. The way that the voting is done, like what, what is actually occurring there. Maybe they do it well now, but every year leading up to it, this organization had a different way of voting that was actually incredibly unfair or whatever. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it yeah. to do it right yeah. that I've never come across one that I, I really find compelling. Wow. <laughs> so, and it, yeah, and again, it messes with my mental psyche in a way. They're like, well, hold on a second. Who is who is saying like I deserve to be top ten? Like, are th- are these actual people that worked as wedding photographers, or are these just people that curate really beautiful Instagram feeds? Like, mm. I don't know. <laughs> no one knows. Like, it's just something I prefer to avoid because of those types of situations. Well, it's interesting for me because a little while ago, um, so this uh, professional photography photographer magazine, professional <laughs> professional photo magazine. All right. Uh-huh. So we need to edit that bit out because I always get it wrong. So professional photo magazine (laughs) approached me and said that, so the guy who used to be the editor uh, basically bought the magazine and um, the opportunity came up and went up for sale and he busted his ass and he managed to buy it himself. So the editor became quieter and we had a meeting and he was like, you know, I'd love to hear your ideas for bringing the magazine, you know, into like modern times and, bit fresh and you know what would you do and I was like you know what if I was starting a photography magazine right now um we went through a few different things and I said I would have a photography award so I would have like portrait photographer and wedding photographer awards um and it would be purely judged um by experts so other photographers and the editor of the magazine and uh it would finalize in a kind of wedding photographer and portrait photographer of the year uh and so we've done it we've done it we've had like monthly you can submit on a month by month basis and we have had subtle entries it has been so minimal so there's no fee to enter um there's no barriers like dropping a few images onto a website you don't have to write about them uh you don't have to get votes for them you don't have to do anything like that you know it sits down with me cat from rock and roll bride the editor of professional photo magazine and you know as a panel we're judging images and it's been just fascinating how few people have entered and mm. you know the prize is nice and obviously it's going to be nice for the winner to have that um accolade that they can talk about on their social media and in their profile mm-hmm. everything like that um but i'm like what's the barrier to people entering here i don't understand like why we're getting so few entries fascinating yeah maybe having a, a barrier actually yields more entries because people feel like Oh, this takes a little bit of work. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it because then my chances of winning are higher. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's tough to know the psychology of that, and then the marketing of it. And if there's, a, I don't even know. I, I have no idea how. If I if you had to sit me down with that person and and talk about how to structure like a legitimate award process, I couldn't do it. I'm not saying I have the answer to to how that is done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, that is surprising to hear. Yeah, it, it does seem like. Well, yeah, because my uh, my idea with him was to, to build on it. So um, I know a guy in LA who has an Oscar. He's a British guy, but he's a documentary filmmaker and he has an Oscar. And um, so he knows about the process of voting for Oscars. And it was interesting to talk to him. And it was just like how if you win an Oscar, then you have a say in who's going to win Oscars going forward. And it creates this you know bigger and bigger group of potential judges. 
okay. you know, so I was kind of thinking about that a lot when we were talking about making an award ceremony. And I was like, I think it would be nice that the people who won the year before were then involved in the voting process for the next year or the judging process. Um, and that means that not the same person is continually winning as well. Like once you've won, that was your go. And then, you know, it's opened it up to new photographers. Um, but yeah, you're right. I've no idea how to properly structure this yeah. and make it fair and, and make it interesting and make it appealing for people to enter because I've failed at that. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Well, I do like that concept. Uh, you know, previous winners mm -hmm. are the only ones that have a say in, in, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. But then how do you structure that process? Is it a pure vote? How is the, there's so many things wrong and tricky with voting most of the time. Uh, I've continue to and, and enjoy uh, judging uh, when I'm invited other awards things. I have no problem lending my opinion. I can easily sit there and say, I like this photo. I don't like this one. What uh, <laughs> people want to do with that information, totally up to them. I don't care. But, uh, you know, I have had many experiences where I sat down and judged something and, you know, we hop on a Skype call with like 10 people. And what I clearly thought or felt was an amazing, interesting photo, you know, I got outvoted on or people, mm -hmm uh it, it wasn't the trendier thing or whatever and so it, it got stomped out and it's just like well yeah uh, that doesn't seem right <laughs> but uh, i don't know that I, I, these are all anecdotal things so it's it's tough to know uh what, what's appropriate but um yeah i know it's funny you talk about like the likes that you get you know images on social media and, and that form of you know that's it sort of being judged and you know it is often really surprising what does do well and what doesn't and there might be a picture that you have a really big passion for but it's part of your creative journey and and it links to previous images or it's linking to something that you're currently working on in your mind right now and you want to do more of and it just utterly bombs yes yeah but those are great i i, I really i like those <laughs> occasionally <laughs> god if every photo bombed i, I would be yeah and i hate i hate being like beholden to social media right uh but yeah occasionally i post i posted a picture the other day i got like 300 likes where i generally get closer to a thousand and i was like but i love this shot i love it what is wrong with everybody <laughs> why why did it do so poorly uh and you just have to like you can't ignore that feeling and, and shy away from like it you're right that could be the nugget of an idea that needs to be iterated and, and evolved on uh to to a you know some further later concept that is going to have more mass appeal who knows but uh yeah if you if you only post what you know is going to work well it's a it's a great recipe for making your your own work boring if nothing else to yourself which again is a great recipe toward like falling off that cliff yeah. <laughs> into yeah. oblivion yeah. and no longer working as a photographer. Yeah, 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 I know. And for me, uh, I think you have to love it. Like this is quite a hard career. Um, yes. And I think if you don't absolutely love it, then it's, it's very hard to maintain um, and very hard to continue with good mental health in this game um, yep. and as long as you have that absolute love and passion for it and then you want to keep growing and learning um, then you can keep a, a career going um, but yeah my my good test for that i think has always been in the back of my head when i'm in the middle of a client meeting and we're talking about their wedding i, I have this little voice in my head if they you know if they ask me can you can you please just shoot our wedding for free 
would I consider it? Would I consider saying yes? And, and my answer is always, yeah, I'd consider it. <laughs> I, would, I, I would continue to do what I do for free. Obviously, that's not a realistic way to survive in the world and run a business. But, you know, if I could shoot uh, a couple weddings a year for free in a way that made sense, I, I would I would do it. I would still do what I do for free. Um, well, I think that's it, like if you won the lottery, would you still do it? Exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent I would. I, I feel like I'm working in retirement right now. <laughs> this is what I would do. <laughs> uh, aside from the physical aspects, when I'm actually of the age to be what most people would consider retired, a hundred percent I would continue to do this, you know, personally. Um, Interesting, anyway. isn't it? But anyway, we haven't sort of covered, I mean, I just assume everyone knows everything about you, but we haven't really covered about how you got into <laughs> photography yeah. at all, because this wasn't your original path was it? It wasn't your original career. Nope. Uh, well, maybe, perhaps, from a, if you want to think of as, define it as a career, I majored in computer science, so I always thought I would go in something more IT, maybe. I'm not good at programming, not passionate about that, uh, so I was thinking more just like some working with computers. Mm. That's what I thought I would do. I was, my hobby and my passion was really music. I spent years trying to make it recording bands and recording my own stuff um and then ended up like i you know i'd always loved photography but never thought i'd make any money from it got my first camera in high school uh was looking for jobs on this online classifieds called craigslist mm. around 2008 and uh came across a posting on craigslist for a photography job uh, at this place called the national press club which I knew nothing about, but it was located in downtown D.C., a couple blocks from the White House, you know, right in the heart of D.C. Then you have a staff photographer. Uh, turns out it's a hundred-year-old organization, fairly well, incredibly well-known and, and fairly prestigious in D.C. itself. Uh, it's essentially a place for journalists uh, to become members, sort of like a country club, where they, yeah. could, they have a couple restaurants uh, there. It's a physical place. Uh, a couple of restaurants exist, a couple of bars, and then a bunch of rooms that, you know, a hundred years ago when it started would just be filled with journalists lounging, networking, just like a place for them to go hang out aside from where they worked. Over over time, to keep the, the place running and the doors open, they started renting these rooms out and it became known as a place to like have a, a news making press conference where, yeah, it was just be like your cliche, someone's at a podium and journalists are filling the room. So the press club uh, over time sold more than just room space. They ended up having building out a broadcast uh, studio for like live spots, and they wanted to sell uh, photography as an option for clients. And uh, that was me. They they I went in and interviewed. They had never had a photography option for for clients to purchase. Uh, I had never photographed people really. I just had my little portfolio of landscape stuff from my travels, you know, during college. And that was it. They wanted somebody who had enough experience, you know, could, could do a good enough job, but not somebody they'd have to pay really well. <laughs> uh, and so I, I jumped right in, learned everything by observation. A lot of these events would still be open to the public, even though my photos would be given to the client who had the event. You know, news photographers would come through and, and document the events for their, uh, you know, Getty images or whatever public newspaper would, would want access to it. And so I learned by observation, shooting shoulder to shoulder with these seasoned uh, DC photojournalists. 
And that's how I got started. I was the staff photographer there for six years. About three years into shooting there, a coworker of mine uh, was getting married and she had been exposed to my work enough you know, through the press club that she liked it. You know, they had a modest, small budget for a wedding photographer and asked me to do it. And I fell in love with uh, coverage of specifically wedding days. Uh, way, way more than I did with what I was doing in the photojournalism world. Mm. Photojournal the, the press club stuff was cool, and it was interesting to be like right at the heart of any kind of news media, or be you know able to photograph celebrities mm. or politicians. Uh, that was all really cool, but like creatively, not very satisfying at all. The actual final output was like you know a candidate, someone speaking at a podium, uh, or this little portrait project I eventually started doing once I had more confidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, an actual studio lit portrait of like the celebrity yeah. that was there or whatever. But with weddings, I, I, I realized like, oh, I get to be creative the whole day now. Uh -huh. <laughs> this is like, clients actually want me to be like as creative as I can. So when you say so, little portrait project, I mean, you did have access to people like George Clooney. And yes. I, cannot, I cannot watch <laughs> yeah. an episode of Law and Order and not think of your portraits <laughs> from some of the cast members. <laughs> Yeah. As well. So, you know, little photo portrait project. And also at that time, so am I right? You were shooting like the Brenizo method with them. Um, so, yeah, it was sort of like a, a minimalist take of the Brenizer method. I was fascinated with what Ryan had come up with. Ryan Brenizer, the first person to do it, you know, these panoramas of you know, 60, 100 images, like tons shot with a really long lens and then when stitched together gave you a wide field of view, a wide perspective, but retaining a really shallow depth of field. I loved the aesthetic and the, the look that that uh, created, mm -hmm. but it wasn't practical for using in a studio setting where you have a, a flash. Yeah. Because you would, you know, you'd, it would be like a strobe light. You would give somebody a, a, <laughs> a fit a seizure. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I just by necessity realized like, oh, I can still get a really meaningful, uh, quality of this effect with just three shots really really close to my subject instead of being far away with a slightly different lens choice and all of this and then get a really powerful medium format large format sort of film look to my my photo without it being you know a big production needing 60 images or whatever what and were yeah, you so, shooting then what were you shooting those on uh, a lot of that was the nikon d4 maybe or the d700 and the uh, so full frame Nikon DSLR with a it ended up being I still have it uh, my one of my favorite lenses from the 1970s I think a, a Nikon 58 millimeter f 1.2 Wow so it's a manual focus lens made by Nikon uh, super it was like $3,500 to buy it now if you wanted to just because it's so rare mm. but a beautiful beautiful look to it mm. uh, in my opinion and then shooting at that shallow depth. Uh, when you use this minimalist Brenizer version uh, method, it pushes it into like an insane, like if you did the math on the final output, uh, these three images stitched together would have like the perspective of like a 35 millimeter shot mm -hmm. with a, a depth of, like a, an aperture of like 0 0.7, mm -hmm. 0 0.7, something incredible, something that doesn't exist. Uh, so that was really appealing. Yeah, and so these celebrities were there for the, the press conference for the whole thing, and you grabbing them for your little kind of side project and just saying, hey, just for me. Yeah, well, I was a staff photographer, so I would have behind-the-scenes access. A lot of times before the formal press conference, they'd have a little VIP reception in the room right next door, and that would only be like 10 people, Yeah, uh, really small and intimate, and that would be 30 minutes long, so kind of that last five minutes of it 
you know, I'd pull them over and say, hey, you know, I'd have something set up in the corner. So it was obvious that like this was a thing that they would be doing yeah. if they want. And so, yeah, I'd ask, like, hey, I'm the staff photographer here. I would be the only photographer in the room. So it wasn't, yeah. you know, there was no competitive, weird chemistry with maybe, you know, some other photographer that might have more of an ego or whatever. Uh, yeah, I just asked them to do it. And eventually after the first one, once or twice uh, doing it, uh, it became just sort of a thing that they would do. So there was always sort of a format to the experience with like really high level um, guests. Mm -hmm. They would come in, do the VIP, VIP reception, then they would sit down in two chairs with the president of the press club, they would shake hands, they would sign the guest book, and, and then they would go to the, their talk. Mm -hmm. uh, I basically just became like, oh, okay, they signed their guest book, then they'd come over here and stand for a quick portrait, then they would go give their talk. So I just kind of like wedged my way into the process as being like, this is it, this is the format of what you experience when you come. Uh, and part of that was also just the great staff at the press club, mm -hmm. willing to trust me to, to make it something that wouldn't be a production, it was a quick thing, wouldn't be awkward, and it would, yeah, be pleasant for the guest. You know, you want them to have a good experience at the press club, so they come back, yeah. and that the clients, ultimately, that brought that celebrity want to come back, because, you know, the press club is a good, safe space for them to have their event. Uh, uh, okay. um, I like, you know, the guy who shoots the Oscars, he does those um, portraits within mm -hmm. the Oscars, so he must be, he must set up a little studio backstage, is it Mark? Selinger or something? I don't know how to say something like that yeah yeah, yeah. Um, they're always fascinating to see so I think they're always done as a little just side project but now they're like a really prestigious thing aren't they and um, yeah yeah it's funny how that, uh, that I suppose that could have been somehow as my abilities as a photographer got better and everything like maybe the, the series could have become something even more notable but Unfortunately, right, the press club, it's all news related stuff. And so right around 2014, when I was really hitting my stride with the series, feeling really confident, I did notice uh, a, a downward trend in the uh, consistency and how often high level people were making in-person appearances at, at news events. Mm. Everything was being shifted to just kind of online. Mm. And so, you know, normally you would have a celebrity attached to your event, your press conference, because it would generate buzz. Now that's all being done sort of through Twitter or Instagram or whatever. It's not as necessary to have celebrities in person at an event. So yeah, it was just becoming more and more rare. And then eventually I had to leave the press club full like I just couldn't maintain being there full time because I was so busy traveling for workshops and weddings and press or uh, my own Sam Hurt photography work. Yeah. Uh, I, I left. So that that was it. So you but, shot yeah. your colleague's wedding and then yes. You were like, I can be creative all day long. So you decide you're going to be Sam Hurd, wedding photographer. Um, and were you initially just looking for work in your local area or were you always um, thinking? Yes, my emphasis has always been local. Uh, it eventually found its way into being many destinations. Mm -hmm. But that's come as a direct result of appealing to wedding photographers and what I share online. Mm -hmm. I found that uh, I never set out to do or be defined as a destination wedding photographer, but I've probably done, I don't know, 60, 70 destination weddings over my career, simply because most of my destination clients are wedding photographers that have followed my work and like my style. And uh, that's because I share a lot of stuff uh, that only wedding photographers would find appealing uh, in terms of uh, gear reviews or behind 
you know, tutorial write-ups and all that kind of stuff. I've only ever tried to shoot locally yeah. because it's far more profitable yeah. and easy. Yeah. You know, to, to come back to your own bed at night, you're not nearly as exhausted. There's no jet lag to account for. There's a real downside to traveling if you do destinations as like your main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the US, you know, everything's kind of far away yeah. <laughs> uh, versus Europe where it's only an hour flight to you know, get from one country to the next. The US is, is quite large. Yeah. So um, I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I've always targeted kind of local uh, appeal and generating word of mouth and buzz from, from people local. And occasionally I'd get the, the non-wedding photographer, photographer client who's, yeah, is having a destination at the Bahamas or what have you. But uh, the vast majority of destination clients I've had have been wedding photographers. So, so you set out, uh, so you did your kind of Craigslist marketing to begin with? Uh, no, I, I never used Craigslist for weddings. I, I found the job purely by using Craigslist. I was looking for IT ah. jobs. Yeah, and I just came across uh, posting when I was looking for any and all jobs in the DC market. I came across photography at the listing that they had made <laughs> the press club had made uh no i never used um really any marketing other than my own website and blog for actual wedding clients i think i do remember this someone i might have been someone like montana dennis used to have a home page that had like just two boxes on it that said do you want to a cheap photographer, and if you clicked on it, it took you to Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> and then there was another button that said, oh, "Do you want a, a really good wedding photographer?" That took you to his that. website. Um, I well, Montana Dennis. Uh, speaking of which, he was also. I remember sitting at my desk at the press club, haven't even shot my first wedding yet, and I probably came across his website because I was researching, like, yeah. what the heck do I do? Um, that's certainly how I came across Ryan Brenizer's work originally uh, but montana dennis i remember his blog stomp uh google blog that he had and i was like i want to shoot like that guy yeah uh, yeah 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 uh, he's he's great i'm glad to see he's still around doing his thing yeah he had i don't know if he still had it but he had this page on his website that was dedicated to his beard <laughs> did you ever see it of course he did no no i stopped following his once once i realized like this guy is so good i want to be him yeah. I, I generally stop looking at people that do that because uh i don't want to be too influenced to the to the point where i'm just a ripoff i'm just a lemming or an emulation of their work uh, I, 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 you got to have a healthy sense of that like if you have a photographer you're just obsessed with like really really assess that situation and put Put some barrier there because you're going to just turn into a clone of them yeah. if you do that and that's not a good way to stand out and and make work that people are drawn to because it's new and different and you don't have the beard <laughs> i don't have that beard man that thing is epic well yeah, yeah. so it was like a page and basically you clicked on it and it was just a, like a, a movie of him and it had sort of soft porn music would start to play <laughs> And then it was slow motion of him just kind of like running his fingers through his beard and just like very <laughs> sexual page. Amazing. It was phenomenal. It was just so hypnotic and so good. And then it was like, I think there was a button that said, do you want to see more of this? And it took you through to just a page of cats. <laughs> it was just like random. And I remember seeing it. Uh, I think Melissa, who does my website, maybe possibly showed it to me. And um I was like, this is so great because this is just so nothing to do with wedding photography. It's just so to do with this guy's personality and and showing Amazing. what you know, yeah. his sense of humor and, and how irreverent, irreverent you can be. 
I'm so jealous of people that do that really well. I feel like it's such a battle for me to feel like I come across in a way that like people can relate to, you know, without even saying it, like, you know, what kind of person he is, yeah, <laughs> his yeah. sense of humor, uh, what his interests are, like, you can, you can like, just know it on a subconscious level. It's so yeah, great. it was great. And I think, cause at the time, I don't, I haven't seen this like so much, but I think at the time, the, a lot of US photographers had these Jesus pages um mm. or it was like you know talking about their faith and everything and you know I, like you would never see that in the uk and i, I was like weirdly fascinated by people's jesus pages um, interesting i feel like yeah, his beard page was a you know antidote. <laughs> that's great where <laughs> <laughs> he did look a bit like jesus i love that he, yeah he still does he still does. So tell me about when you first, so you were fanboying over Ryan Brenheiser and when did you first actually meet him? Ryan, uh, I met him in New York. I think, I guess the first time was at one of his workshops. He was, he stopped doing his workshops for some reason. I don't know why. He was a really great teacher, but um, yeah, I came across, I was supposed to go to his first workshop. There was a huge blizzard, winter storm, and everything was canceled. I couldn't make it. So I came to his next one. And he, uh, yeah, I just met him there and kept in touch. Mm. I immediately, I remember I immediately came back and wrote on my blog, like how I was feeling my exact, mm. you know, I'm sure it's still there. If you go back far enough, I was like, you know, I'm sure everybody that attended the workshop is just like blogging about the experience and just like getting so much from it. And I think I was the only one that blogged anything because I was so, I felt so enriched by everything he had to say. And, uh, I don't know how that segued into a real meaningful friendship with him but yeah he and I talk quite often and uh you know he was one of those where huge inspiration right off the bat but then I immediately started putting distance between exposure to his work yeah. and and everything else because I didn't want to be an emulation of exactly what Ryan would do I need to do that right uh you know, you have to be aware of that. <laughs> and so Ryan, again, I put a lot of distance and I would say I probably don't shoot anything like him now. Mm. And so I think uh, that turned into a, a meaningful professional relationship with him uh, because yeah, we have different perspectives on things now and can really talk about stuff from a different perspective and point of view that's really fun and healthy. Mm. Well, it's funny because I did my podcast last night with Magic, one of our other speakers for Thrive. And he was talking about his photography, wedding photography heroes that, that when he started his career. And he said he went to Jeff Newsom's workshop in London. And uh, I was like, I was at that workshop too. So I looked it up when we finished huh. our podcast last night. And it was May 2014. Wow. And I think it's like the only time I've paid to go to somebody's workshop um, because I'm just so fascinated by Jeff. I could never see where his thought processes were. I was like, you could just never sure. predict what he was going to do. And I think I first saw his work, um, the guy Xander, Xander and Christine that he shot. Uh, uh -huh. You know, the guy. Yeah, Irish wedding. Yeah, 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 Irish wedding. And so that's yeah. where I'm from, like Northern Ireland. And it's just not pretty there. It's not like the thought that, that this guy this big international photographer could go there and find this incredible imagery to create um his response <laughs> to the yeah. environment and the people and the style of wedding and you know it was like a massive like just shock to me it was like what how does this guy reach this how does he 
find that image like what is going on so when I heard he was doing a workshop in London I was like yes sign me up <laughs> I just want to yeah. hear what he's got to say and not that I think I want to be Jeff Newsom because that's taken but like I just want to hear <laughs> some of his thought processes and I did I did find it incredibly inspiring to hear him speak about his work and to meet him and, but yeah, so it's funny because Magic was also there and he was talking about him last night. But you and Jeff were pretty good friends. Uh, this is a very yeah. roundabout way of saying. Yeah. Um, and you've done a joint workshop for us at Photography Farm. Um, and yeah, yeah so, so to, when did you first meet Jeff or when did you first become aware of his work? Um, gosh, I'm sure it was through. Well, it all comes back at the end of the day to a Flickr group that uh, was called SWPB. Yes. So it was a Flickr discussion group. Uh, Jeff is in there, there are hundreds of photographers there, but so many people that went on to just be really, really well known were there from like the early yes. formative years Jonas, of their career. Jonas, yes. Jonas, yeah, Jonas Peterson, Sean Flanagan, Jeff, like, like everybody, it's crazy. Uh, Nessa, my girlfriend, like she was there. That's how she and I uh, got to know each other. And there was this really tight group that would, uh, there was a thread uh, that you could, if you had a blog post that you'd made, you could share your blog post and people would go and, uh, you know, support each other by commenting on it and just giving uh, a critique or an assessment if there was need for that. And that was it. So I think a lot of us kind of, Literally, right? Yeah, I, I can't point to anywhere else other than SWPB is sort of the consistent thread uh, for most of my relationships in the industry, mm. which is so funny because, uh, you know, Flickr died. Yeah. SWPB died and everybody got older and started having kids, spending less time. And then they sort of moved to Facebook groups. And then that that's a recipe for just killings. Anytime a group is established somewhere and it tries to be translated uh, to a different place, it's a recipe for, I've never seen it gone go well <laughs> beginning of the end beginning of the end sadly but that's okay other things have popped up i feel like it looks like film uh perhaps is another group where something similar occurred with sort of a new collection of photographers that kind of were up and coming mm -hmm. and, and are now in their own little circle I, I don't know but you know it'll certainly that'll die and something else will come come along well hopefully. i've been thinking about it a lot over the last couple of days because my editor has challenged me with writing something um, a bit juicier for next month and they're doing a, a wedding special for the whole magazine and okay. I, I pitched to him um that it might be good to look back on the industry a little bit maybe this is going back to what gabe started with that the uh, thread on Facebook but uh, you know people I feel were really influential on our industry and and changed the game and I feel uh, it is photographers from that Flickr group uh, so you, you know you're looking at Jonas and Jeff and um, you know some other people so I think there's a girl called Yannicka Storm who we've had at Palm mm -hmm. as well and I feel like when she did that a wedding in the desert with the girl in the sequin dress and the pink hair like that created a whole new genre um, <laughs> amazing yeah so i've been thinking about approaching some of these photographers in my mind who are pretty legendary but i've had a really big impact um because i don't know how afterwards all these things that have happened i feel there is a legacy i feel there is uh, this handing down that there was doors opened by people 
like, I mean, Jonas is the maze, you know, the one that really springs to mind and Jeff is another one. Um, because they broke down what it meant to be a wedding photographer and and how you shoot weddings. And I think Jonas was the first one who was there right from the day before shooting or, you know, with the bridal party, wherever they were staying, he was at the rehearsal dinner and he stayed at the wedding until the, you know, the absolute end, which people weren't necessarily doing. And then Jeff Mm -hmm. was doing this whole very extremely creative take on the portraits that we weren't aware of before. Um, But that has spawned, I believe, like just all of these other creative photographers, you know, there's a, there's a timeline back to these guys. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and, you know, now you look at something like Visco, VSCO, the editing platform, it's, it's completely mainstream, right? Like it is way beyond weddings. (laughs) It is way beyond weddings. Uh, And Visco started as a wedding photographer thing. Like they got a dozen top name wedding photographers at the, at the time that it launched to vouch for them. And they didn't make presets specifically for a photographer. They made presets to emulate film, but they got a dozen photographers, uh, exclusively wedding as far as I could tell. And just boom, yeah. they, that, that launched Visco. Mm-hmm. And now you know it's completely mainstream. Like Apple features Visco as the camera app to use to edit your photos. Well, oh, I tell you what I did yesterday. You go to Amazon and search Visco girl, you can buy a kit to turn you into a Visco girl. That's funny. Yeah, I what can you define for me exactly what that is? I, I'm out of the loop on what a vis, being a Visco girl Obviously, means other than just I, a model. That, I'm, not <laughs> a, I'm a totally in the loop. Not only that, I made the loop. Like, I am Luke the loop. <laughs> not entirely sure, but I think so. It's just like it's a young girl who's using her phone up, take a lot of selfies. They seem to wear okay. friendship bracelets, hair scrunchies, and they like a lot of stickers that say things okay. like, yeah, and whatever, and they like the <laughs> Okay. That's crazy. There you go. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm going to send you a kit. <laughs> Please. Yeah, I didn't realize somebody had uh, workshopped <laughs> the kit for being a Visco girl. I love it. So I was going to package that up. So, um, yeah, so, but yeah, tell uh, what that was all a very roundabout way of finding out how you first met Jeff. <laughs> when I first met him, I think it was a WPPI, ah. some, some, some big conference like that. Oh, you know what? I know what it was. It was um, Canada Photo Convention. So I was invited to speak. It was my very first time speaking, and it was a conference in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And Jeff was also one of the speakers, and he was on the same plane as me, we weren't sitting near each other, but I had put on Facebook or whatever, oh my God, I'm gonna miss my flight. I have to literally run across the airport. And Jeff messaged me back saying like, you're fine, you're gonna make it. He's like, thanks. <laughs> I was the last person on the plane. And uh, I saw Jeff as I was walking on, as I gave him a nod. And then we, you know, uh, at the end of the flight, we kind of gravitated to each other when we were in line uh, for customs and, and, and immigration. And then, yeah, I saw him throughout that conference and then, uh, you know, a few other conferences since then. Yeah, I and, uh, that Canadian one. Yeah, that was a good yeah, one. Yeah, it was a good one. I'm not sure what happened to it. Ultimately, uh, it's gone. It's been gone for years. But uh, yeah, and then Jeff, uh, I invited him to, to do a workshop at my house, actually twice, once at my house and once at, when I used to have a studio space in downtown Baltimore. I had Jeff, uh, he came and did a workshop uh, twice. And that, yeah, we just spent a lot of time 
for those hanging out and eventually got to talking about doing one of our own, a combo thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that was, that was sort of it. And then Jeff kind of put all his time and energy into launching Develop, mm -hmm. which is a preset company, DVLOP. And uh, I haven't seen him really in, in a while, but I'll see him in a couple of weeks at WPPI again. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I've been to WPPI once. I think I went in 2012 and um, it was, it was fun. It was very different. Like American shows are very different to the, the British ones. Like I felt like the actual trade show part, like it was quite creative. Like it's a creative yeah. industry and it always shocks me how we have a trade show here for photographers and it would be just really, really dull and corporate. Um, but I remember the stands being like quite interactive and things going on and it was like actually quite appealing to go in and interact. Well, they're the, they were probably the, I would assume, the largest budget uh, one. So you know, people would really put their money into their stands there if you were, if you were on the floor. Mm. But I, I only went, I think, twice to WPPI ever at once both times to speak so i was really in my own head kind of focusing on that i wasn't really experiencing it as a mm. an attendee uh this will be the first year i'm going just to go because i haven't been to any other conferences ever as like an attendee <laughs> i want to just go and have fun and not have to have a, you know an obligation at, at all yeah. uh so that'll be that'll be cool and i'm excited so you're just going to go and hang out yep that's the plan and you're coming over to way up north as well Yes, yeah, they I had expressed doing that, uh, just buying a ticket and going to Way Up North uh, instead of in, instead of WPPI, I suppose, when I was considering which where would I want to go if I just wanted to attend a conference. Uh, but then I know those guys, Cole and Jakob, from SWPB very, very well. <laughs> uh, they, they were some of the original people there. And uh, Cole, in particular, I have the closest relationship with, I would say. And he just messaged me like, hey, that's all you're talking about coming. Uh, why don't you just come? Uh, teach a, a shoot or like a small class. It's like, all right, <laughs> I guess I'll work. That's, That's fine. Well. Nice. And, yeah, so I yeah. went the first year when NASA spoke and ah, yeah. um, like, I mean. Wasn't she great? Man, she, she just killed it. I loved her talk. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> she was of course best. I would say that. She was the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but a big old event, isn't it? It's like quite, uh, you know, I just remember thinking, God, that's like standing up on a big stage all by yourself. Like that's terrifying. So funny for me when I got- Very on, formal. Yeah, when I got on the plane to come home, uh, my mind, you know, we leave these things like, which is a good thing, you know, you've loads of notes and, you know, you think you want to process this. And I always try and make a to-do list like straight away, like an action plan, because I think it's the easiest thing in the world to go home from an event like this. And, you know, you think, wow, that was great. I feel so inspired, but I need to kind of sit with it for a while. And, you know, I'll go back to my notes in a bit and real life kicks in. You've just got editing deadlines and all of that. And you maybe never go back and yet you've invested oh, yeah. this money. You just, you yeah. simply forget. Yeah. Yep. So I always try and do an action plan like kind of straight away. So on the plane, when we left Sweden, I was like, make, you know, making my action plan. There was a few things for my own business. And then I was just like, for me, it was like, but I kind of want to do like a conference myself now. <laughs> uh, mm. And one of the things that I thought on the plane was that rather than having the speakers on the stage on their, their own, which I feel I personally would really struggle with, um, like to have speakers just stay on the stage and, and be more of a panel all day. So you would have your own topic that you would focus on. But if you ever did freeze or you need somebody to pick up the slack for you, that there is other people there. Um, yeah. And that, that, that. that was the, the little germination of, of what became 
what is now going to be Thrive, which I'm super excited to get you over for. Mm -hmm. yeah, so. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I think constantly, and, and what's cool about that is like you're, you've now created this format or this idea mm -hmm. And somebody else is sitting there. You have to be careful now. Yeah. <laughs> somebody else is sitting there like, oh, I love that. How can I do something different? And then they put you out of business. But you need to intercept those people when you catch wind of their, you know, subtle change on the idea that makes it unique <laughs> and bring them on board to thrive. But I feel uh, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not so worried because I feel like anybody who gets into this realizes how much bloody hard work it is. <laughs> I know. It's, I think that's the problem with a lot of not necessarily conferences as much as it, as it is workshops. So many photographers kind of see, okay, now I, like I'm getting some recognition for my work. People are into me. I've got a lot of followers. Now I need to do a workshop to like make money and mm. be legitimate, legitimized. Like, no, you don't. You absolutely do not. Most, most photographers offering workshops have no place doing them whatsoever. They are horrible <laughs> teachers. another doing... one of those controversial <laughs> <laughs> It's true though, just because you're a good photographer, it probably means you're a horrible teacher because you're so in your own head about, and, and you haven't sat down and articulated to yourself even what your process is. It's, it's a different, completely different skill. And there are some people that are better teachers and, and speakers than they are photographers. And there's a place for them too. But like, yeah, at the end of the day, I think the vast majority of people do not need to be hosting workshops, uh, but do. And, I mean, it, maybe it's worth trying everything once to see if it is in your blood. Mm. And, and when it is, then, then you push and you keep going like you're doing with, with conferences and thrives and you clearly have an act for doing this. Uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, everybody else sitting there feeling like they have that sparkle uh, mm. does. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so tempting to think this is easy. I can do this. And, and it's not. And you I know. Well, I, so I remember a few years ago, um, just sitting in that there did seem to be a new conference style thing a new, you know i don't know was a gathering a new camp a new all, <laughs> the camp thing yeah, yes all, that was an interesting all, angle all the things i do feel like there was sort of a new thing cropping up every five minutes and and i was actually chatting to cole and uh, he said look just you know don't worry just keep doing your own thing and he said look cream always rises to the top <laughs> and I think about it quite That's often true. and I just think yeah, you know just keep doing your thing keep working hard keep trying you know I think with farm I learned pretty early on that you know you have to work quite hard at making people comfortable as soon as you can and making them feel like they've been properly welcomed in and taken care of and then you can settle down into the education but the education on its own isn't enough you have to provide an experience yeah. and uh, and the community around farm that was always kind of there that was people who came first of all they but they started the facebook group not me you know that element was in place but i realized when the events got bigger that we had to be very consciously um taking care of that side of it too yeah um i love that yeah uh, it's completely true and you know a, a gimmick or a, a take on something can work really well once yeah. maybe twice the, the problem the, the key is longevity right how, how are you setting yourself up to like really be in tune with what people want and then want again and want to come back for it right it can't yeah it's it's really tough yeah uh and it's so easy for photographers to take advantage uh via you know 
uh, an interesting idea and like smart marketing and yeah, it's going to be a camp and we're all going to sleep in tents and it's like really cool, but like, is it, <laughs> it's cool to try once, but yeah, there's a reason, uh, I don't see a whole lot of camp. This is and not, and I'm not calling out any, any particular conference because there are a billion campy type conferences, but that's not a thing that I see anymore is like being constantly sold out and, uh, you know, trendy, right. It's because at the end of the day, people, it's fun to try, but they didn't want it. Mm -hmm. Like they want simple, they want good speakers. I'm sure actual like things that they can implement, practical advice that they can take and, and implement, not all pie in the sky, inspirational, motivational stuff because mm -hmm. that, that just doesn't last. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has to be a, good, a healthy mix of everything and it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Uh, well, this you know, is it. Burning, burning man. Yeah. <laughs> Coachella, the Coachella. Yeah. Right. Like I, I just always focused on the education. Like I just think if you, if you get that right, like that's what people are paying for. That's what they're investing in. It's like, you just, you know, you need to focus on the education. Is this educational or is this just, you know, I always say to my speakers, is it killer or is it filler? And it's funny. I, I just to loop back a slight anecdote that's similar. I was I found a photographer on Instagram. I came across his work randomly, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, he's amazing! Tons of followers!" And he, he has kind of everybody pointing to his new YouTube channel. And I was like, "Huh, I wonder how many views he has and how his YouTube's doing because his Instagram, hundreds of thousands of followers, blah blah blah, and like four thousand views, two thousand views on YouTube, which." I mean, that's, that's not great for YouTube. Uh, uh, if you've got, you know, you had hundreds of videos made, he should have more of an established audience. And I started watching some of them and it's like so much filler. Like these were 15 minute videos. They could have been four minutes long. could have been five minutes long. Like, you know, when I'm there to like learn about some method of uh, something on Photoshop, I don't want, I don't care about your cat. Like, <laughs> I just don't. Like, I mean, if you make it a 30 second or like a five second thing, then fine. I'll look at your cat and I'll, I'll chuckle. But I don't need to hear about how you took your cat to the vet and you're so grateful that your cat's in, like, you don't have to be that authentic with me. Like, get to the, the core Do you think of that, like, people will be influenced by, you know, so looking at someone who's a vlogger and thinking of, yes, like, really, 100%. but that's somebody vlogging their whole life. Like, that's somebody vlogging their whole life. Yeah. You, people aren't going to that vlog to learn. Yeah. A skill necessarily right like they're just not they like the personality and the energy that that person brings in their life uh again you can sprinkle that in here and there but like if you're if you're going the tutorial route if that's what the video is about like get to it <laughs> yeah 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 no it's funny isn't it because i wasn't too aware of what bloggers actually did and then uh my kids came home from school one day and they were like buzzing saying people at school are saying like daddy's on this like bloggers video uh, so like something you know, like really, really popular, really, really huge, huge, huge following. And so we looked it up and we were like, oh, this is okay. So the, the vlogger went to the supermarket and bought the groceries. And that was the whole video. Uh, <laughs> yeah. they, and, you know, they came home and they were like loading it into their freezer and talking about what they were going to make that night for dinner. And it was like, like, I just go to the supermarket and I just buy my groceries and I just put them away and I just make dinner. Uh, it's like I was like, how is this like? And the kids love it. Kids love it. And um, they do. My yeah. husband was just on the like escalator going up, like behind the meeting of pepperami in the background. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, vloggers are really good storytellers. Yeah. Like they, much as I hate that word, it's true. Like they have found a way to tell the story of them going to the grocery store in a way that millions of people want to see. Yeah, it's crazy. But it's true. I know. I um, found it like then I watched another, uh, so I watched a girl, so a girl that I knew, uh, a friend of a friend, um, 
was uh, was quite recently married and then was announcing like she's a very popular vlogger as well and you know split up from her husband pretty soon after she got married and uh, was like oh she's gonna you know talk about split up from her husband like I was like okay I'll watch her vlog tonight to see what happens and uh, she starts out by yeah, putting away her shopping and then cleaning her windows you know about 40 minutes in before she started talking about her relationship and I was like but it was fascinating <laughs> it's really, you know, it, like, yeah. I could just watch it. So it's totally so. Yeah, I'm sorry, we're just um, going down a whole other tangent. Yeah, we are on a totally. Trying <laughs> to think how we got there. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, that's you guys. So I think you know. Oh, we, you know, we started this by talking about how trying to get your clear message across, and it's so tempting to do all of the things all of the time, and to find yourself feeling pressure that you should be doing that and you should be all things all the time. It's, it's a lot. It's, and you, and it's not necessary. <laughs> it's just, it's just not, uh, I mean, in, in fits and bursts maybe, but yeah, at the end of the day, you should have a, an overarching kind of calling mm -hmm. or, or drive. And for me, it, it always comes back to like, I'm still booking weddings from clients that have no idea who I am uh, or any history of mine in the industry. They they found my work and they like what they see. Mm -hmm. They like my personality and my kind of approach to how I manage photography on the wedding day. And they pay me their money and I give them a full gallery that they love, hopefully. Like that is what fuels everything. And that, yeah, that's that's where it all kind of comes back to for me. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you had to tell me, like, Sam, what are you going to do in 10, 15 years when you maybe aren't cool enough or not physically able to shoot weddings anymore or whatever, uh, what are you going to do? And it's like, I have no idea. Um, I'm working it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not hard to say. But what I know now clearly is that I am a wedding photographer. I'm good at it. And wedding people, sorry, wedding clients hire me mm. uh, to do that. So uh, that, that at the end of the day, uh, you don't have to worry about messaging when you've got you know a clear focus that that kind of ignites everything else. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. We are in an interesting time in the industry because I feel like with with the rise of conferences, we've gone from sort of workshops to then they become conferences and bigger, and there's this celebration of wedding photographers and this adulation of you know putting them on a stage and um, you know seeing them work on huge screens with music and. You know, yeah. it is a little, people talk about the rock stars. I don't know anyone who calls themselves a rock star, but I definitely know uh, photographers that are greatly admired. And, you know, I do often look at them and think, I wonder what their clients think. Like, if they're not wedding photographers and they've just booked you because they've randomly, like, maybe found you through SEO or recommendation, you know, they're not like, oh my God, you know, yeah. you're just the guy doing your job. and. <laughs> yeah, I, I like if you see there's a video of uh, so when Nick Jonas got married and there's Jose Villa and you know as the girl is walking down the aisle with that it, like her train was like 60 foot long or something of the veil was huge and, <laughs> yes. you know and it's like in India it's I don't know 40 degrees and there's Jose running backwards you know the backwards thing that photographers always have to do and he's just i know it sucks but you have to do it off, you know and there's like nobody there is going oh my god it's crazy <laughs> yeah it's funny it's true <laughs> yeah but like wow how amazing would it be to assist <laughs> yeah well you know it's funny jose and uh jeff and another guy named ken uh they all live in like the same neighborhood oh, okay. in San Luis Obispo. They all started at the same time. Mm. Uh, that's the reason 
Jose Villa decided to launch his presets through developments because ah. Jeff and him, like they all started and followed each other's work and like, that's it. Like they have a, a professional friendship from, from the inception point of their, all of their businesses. Well, so it's, it's, it's SWPB. No, I don't think Jose, he might've been an SWPB. I don't, I don't know that he was very active there. Okay. Uh, funnily enough, Jose found success early just through the quality of his work and then his book, uh, you know, he was early with, yeah, his book was just wildly successful, I think, mm. at a time when you could be with a book in a way that was yeah. meaningful financially yeah. and uh, in terms and, and legitimately is like, mm. yeah, making him a, a uh, somebody that is considered like an industry leader. Mm. Like a book will do that, <laughs> especially back in 2006 or whenever this came out. Mm. That is, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, Jose. So anyway, uh, you you play your cards right with Jeff, and maybe he'll get you a, an assistant job with Jose someday. <laughs> I need to move. I think Jose works mostly with uh, family. Actually, I think his brother or sister or something does a lot of makeup and hair for weddings that he does. It's a pretty wow. tight knit studio. Yeah. Oh, so. that ship has sailed, Ben. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. I want to just before we wrap up and finish. I just want. Um, to get your take on what you think so going forward wedding photography you know what's like what's going to be the big buzz like where are we going to go i feel like there's so much potential now oh it's basically. tough i'm i'm i i don't know that i can answer that but i will say i'm putting a lot more focus this year into igtv mm -hmm. i found that to be a really great fun thing mm -hmm. like i've never seriously much tried to make high quality vertical orientated videos mm -hmm. uh instead of just filming it landscape and then cropping it like i literally film anything i put on igtv vertically on the camera mm -hmm. and it's just it's really fun I, I, and i think organic reach uh has been sort of the spigot has been set to a drip now mm -hmm. for stories instagram stories which everybody you know is obsessive and really posts you know, it's a highly saturated area of Instagram, but IGTV seems to have a fair amount of easy organic reach. And, uh, you know, it's been out. I don't think it's caught on nearly as much as Instagram wants it. It's not YouTube yet, but I think YouTube has already like run its course in terms of like it's oversaturated with everybody trying to make it on YouTube. And I think IGTV is sitting there for the taking. Uh, so I'm putting a lot of efforts into that uh, and, and not... Not so much for my wedding work, for my, I would say my educational stuff is really where I'm using it. I'm not vlogging. I'm just using it as a place to do quick, easy tutorials or to like talk about a tutorial I did make for somewhere else or whatever. And it's really fun just like to make a 10 or 15 minute video. I'm seeing a meaningful um, amount of reach there that, I don't know, could be, could turn into something huge. Who knows? Uh, depends on what Facebook wants to do with it. Hopefully they don't kill it off. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, but in terms of like industry trends, I have no idea. It's really tough to to you don't know it until oftentimes in the midst of a thing like SWPV, for example. None of us knew when we were in that discussion group having all these comments and discussions like that SWPV was going to be like such a big deal yeah. uh, that it was for everybody at the time. You never know when you're in it. Yeah. But it led to you meeting your girlfriend. So you guys have been together yeah. for how long now? Oh, gosh, like eight, seven, eight years. Wow. Eight years. 
you're hanging out in this group were you physically anywhere near each other like did you live in the same area no not for a few years she ended up eventually moving within an hour drive of dc uh but it was a new area for her and she had no weddings booked so i started sending her weddings and yeah we kept in touch that way and uh, eventually we were both single at the right time and boom that's it yeah. we uh started dating and it was particularly great because I had been through a few relationships, you know, in my job as a wedding photographer, and it was so tough to maintain yeah. a healthy relationship with somebody having an inverted schedule, mm -hmm. you know, busy on the weekends, free on the weekdays. That's just not how most humans operate. Mm -hmm. But Nessa had the same schedule as me. We could talk about the same kinds of interests and topics, and it worked out really well. So your work is very different because a lot of people who get oh, those yeah. kind of couples, uh, you know, they end up maybe shooting as a duo but also horrible idea in my opinion <laughs> oh bad idea yeah and i'm thankful grateful that ness and i do different work and met when we had fully formed brands and identities with our businesses yeah. we never felt the need financially to combine yeah uh, you know we can send each other, each other clients but yeah there's no obligation business-wise to one another yeah i remember seeing her way back on facebook and i just had such a big girl crush on her. <laughs> i still do like yeah. her work but also how her persona came across online i feel like nessa was the first photographer that i was conscious of who really uh inputted a lot yeah. of her personality and it, it was just uh, so she's very charming, but I love what yes. I love about Ness is she's very dark as well. There's a real like edge to her. <laughs> so I've always yes. really admired her. Um, yeah, you know, I add her to my list for legends. She she still yeah she still is the best full gallery from beginning to end that I've ever seen from a photographer. Mm. Her full galleries are insane. Mm. I mean, so good. Yeah, her composition and her eye and her, the texture and her images, and it's just so unique mm. and still is, still is. It's funny, isn't it? Yep. Well, on that note, I'm gonna let you get on. I'm gonna let you now finish uh, sprucing up your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> I will at least add a profile picture. And I'll, I'll take full responsibility for when LinkedIn comes back because everybody jumps up because Sam Heard did. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to do some research and see what you're, what you're on about with <laughs> photographers. And so you actually added your business? or Okay, so you made your personal profile and then listed your photography company as your employment? I, I like to say that. I don't know. Yeah. I created my profile God knows when. Like way back and uh, yeah so it was just I was waiting for something I was waiting for my podcast to save from last night and I was just like let's go see what I yeah that was it I was having trouble getting hold of the people for my Glasgow venue and mm -hmm. so I was just like hey let's just check out because they work for the Citizen M hotel and the only phone number takes you through to the Netherlands and I was like hey I just want to contact someone directly about this issue that I have and uh, Googled them and it led me to a LinkedIn profile. And I was like, I keep hearing people recently, like in the last month or so talking about LinkedIn. So while I'm here, let's see what's happening with mine. And yeah, it was, it was very, a lot of cobwebs on mine. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. Like it's, it's obviously got me figured out already algorithmically. I'm seeing like all my friends who are on LinkedIn and they're all like, they're wearing their little tie. This is so funny. Oh, 
the profiles. They're all professional. My roommate from college is a CPA, so he's gone full corporate. <laughs> Funnily enough, he's like one of the most creative songwriters I've ever met. Like he could be a professional songwriter if he wanted. Hmm. Well, that's it. We're, there's a whole other world out there. People who are not wedding photographers who have uh, yeah, different yeah. social medias. You know, every time I get in. Um, I remember having an Uber, like a, a conversation with a guy on Uber. Uh, it was like going to an airport. And we were talking to him. He was like, what do you do? And then said I was just leaving a conference. And, uh, you know, I think there was some controversy in a Facebook group. Well, I can't remember. We got chatting about it. And I was like, do Uber drivers have Facebook groups? And he was like, yeah, yeah, of course we do. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's and I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, we're always in there discussing whether we got a dinner or not and the things that we hate about our jobs. And I was like, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. We're talking about people who get in your Uber, like the people who were sick in your Uber, or the people who oh, yeah, I'm sure they got badly. And like, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. We're, you know, we're not the only industry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure they have infinite stories of, of that kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's fascinating. Uh, yeah, as an Uber driver, more than anything else, I mean, you, you must. I, I wonder if they legitimately like the conversation or if they. Uh, would prefer just to not have the same talk. How long have you been driving Uber? <laughs> like, I, I bet they get the exact same cliches constantly. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I remember, like, you do so anything else? When Uber first started, so I remember people talking about Uber and having this app, and uh, it was only in London to begin with. So I lived down on the coast and we didn't have it down here to begin with. But I remember, like, being, you know, with some friends and we got an Uber. It was my first Uber in London. I was like, oh, okay. And then we got in and, like, it was a really nice car, like a Mercedes. And then on the seats, on the, the back of the seats of so the driver's seat and the passenger seat, he had these like little com compartmented bags that hung down. And inside there was like hand sanitizer and bottles of Evian and tissues and like, you know, breast spray and mints mm. and chocolates and like tissues and just all these lovely little things. Like I was like, oh, Ubers, this is the way to travel. This is so fancy. I was like, no wonder everyone's raving about Uber. Yeah, never, <laughs> ever had anything like it since, ever. Oh, <laughs> That's not yeah. a standard thing. Apparently, there was a uh, New York City cab driver that was really known because he, you know, this is a time well before Uber and all that kind of stuff. Um, he would have like a newspaper route, fresh bottle of water, thing to clean your hands with, exactly like what you just said. But as a New York City cab driver, like something that he went way above and beyond and everybody loved him and remembered him and he got really good tips. Yeah, well, yeah. this is it. And so, you know, I just thought they were all like that. And then the funny thing about Uber is like, so I, I do always give like five stars, no matter what my experience was, they'd have to be really bad. Like if they're really bad, I might give them four. I don't think I've ever given anybody less than four, but you know, we get no banter and that, you know, they, they smell of BO or something, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. they'll maybe give them a four, but generally I do give them a five and it leaves me nowhere to go with these guys who go above and beyond, you know? Um, yeah. But I, yeah, it was funny when you first become aware that you have an Uber rating. So, yeah, what's your Uber rating, Sam? What is your. Oh, yeah. Let me. I haven't looked in a long time. I, I'm, I'm going to bet like a 4.8. Yeah. Is that good? Well, once like, I realized I, I have one, I became quite competitive. I, I'm like, why have I ever been scored down? I am nothing but charm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a 4.81. Ah, 4.81. I am 4.81 too. <gasps> Uber twins. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. 
That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. Like, what the hell did I do? <laughs> so why, why was the trip where I got marked down? Like, because I'm always, like, I, you know, so I asked my guy on this trip back to the airport, like, why would you ever mark people down? You know, and he was like, oh, well, you know, if you don't tip. And I was like, oh, no, I feel I've always got to tip. <laughs> I didn't think that they knew if you tip. Maybe that was before tipping was built into the app. And so if you wanted to tip, you, you actually had to yeah. leave cash. And if you didn't do that, maybe that's the... I that's know, but like, I feel I can never get it back. Like, I want, I want to be perfect. I want five. <laughs> uh, you are basically describing an episode of Black Mirror oh, <laughs> right now, by the way. Just so you're aware. <laughs> Oh my lord! So yeah, and he also said like if you don't put your seatbelt on, uh, if you don't say hello, you know, all these. Oh, if he slams the door, you might get marked down. Mm. I guess that makes sense. Seatbelt though, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. safety first, Sam. Safety first. Good to know. <laughs> well, at least they care. Yes, exactly. That's, that's cool. Well, listen, we're going to wrap this up because we have chatted okay. for ages. We're going to have nothing left for your workshop. <laughs> I know. It's like this could have been a talk yeah. <laughs> at some point. Thank you. That's cool. Um, yes. So we'll be getting these up in the next couple of weeks, as soon as I figure out how. Um, and yes, it was really lovely to talk to you. Say hello to the lovely Nessa from me. I will. She is currently in New York shooting an elopement, but I will do that. Uh, my LinkedIn page is officially spruced up and I'm going to friend you right now. So I'll see you on LinkedIn. Oh, awesome. Let's bring the chat over to LinkedIn. Let's bring LinkedIn back. <laughs> Me and you, we're going to do this. All right, Sam. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Great Thank talking. you so much. Take care. Bye. Bye.